You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Uh, this past week, uh, we sold our church van. Our church membership had voted uh, to sell the van uh, because we were only using it about two times a year and it just didn't feel cost-effective to keep it on our insurance throughout the entire year and continue to maintain it. And so we listed it for sale and sold it this week. And when it came time to list it for sale, I took the information, the, the year, the make, the model, all of the options on it, and I plugged it into kellybluebook.com. And that website gives you what is the value of that car based on its year, its condition, and all of that. And so by using that, I was able to, to take that data, take that information, and find out, okay, what's this vehicle worth? And I took that info, and I took that value, and I took pictures of it, and I posted that online and hoped that someone um, would buy it. And there was this little bit of angst of, well, I'm, I'm going to post it. I wonder if anybody's going to say, it's not worth that. I'm not going to pay that much for that. Uh, Kelly Blue Book is crazy if they think it's worth that amount of money. We were able to sell it uh, pretty rapidly, and several people uh, showed interest in it. And so I felt, okay, well, it was worth that. Because even if there's this standard, okay, this is what it's worth, what really matters is what's someone willing to pay for it, right? Because you can have this, this be convinced that it is worth this much, but if no one's willing to pay that amount, then that evaluation isn't worth a whole lot. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, John has been pointing out miracles and signs and statements of Jesus that give us an indication that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah. But in John chapter 12, we have not so much a a, a sign or even a statement of Jesus. What we have in all of chapter 12 is we have other people's response to Jesus' signs and statements. John has been building this case, this standard, for Jesus' worthiness, of His his worthiness for our worship, for the standard of He is who He says that He is. But chapter 12 is all about people responding to what Jesus has done, what He has accomplished. And in John chapter 12, what we see is that the people that Jesus had just ministered to in a powerful way in John chapter 11 by raising Lazarus up from the dead. And if you missed last Sunday's message, you can follow along. You can catch back up on our website. But in John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus up from the dead. And in John chapter 12, we see that Jesus is back with that family and they're showing their appreciation to Jesus. So look with me at John chapter 12 and verse one. Then six days before the Passover came to Bethany, then he, Jesus, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, and there they made him a supper. And man, how cool must it have been for Jesus and Lazarus to just have dinner together, right? People will sometimes ask, you know, if you could have dinner with any figure from history, who would you have dinner with? And, and you're, you're saying, well, I, I, I'm, I'm picking someone who's dead now. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus sits down and shares a meal with him. Let's keep reading verse 2. There they made him a supper. And so it's not just like, oh, Jesus is here, let's eat. 
They're making him a supper. This is a special occasion in Jesus' honor. And Martha served. Now, if you're familiar with Mary and Martha from other places in Scripture, you know that this is Martha's, this is her, her skill, this is her gift, is serving in this way. That's what she does. So, Lazarus is sitting with Jesus at the table. Martha is serving. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. So what we've got here in these first few verses is all three members of this family, these siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're all showing their appreciation for Jesus, but that appreciation is specific. Martha is a a gifted cook. And the way that she shows people that she cares for them, that she loves them, is she makes food for them. And so she has everybody over to the house and she's serving this meal. My grandmother is a Martha. My grandmother's not happy when I come in town. She's not happy until she's filled me up, fed me so much that I'm almost miserable. That's when she feels like she has had time with me, when she's been able to feed me well. Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. That's what verse 2 says. Now, that isn't like they have lazy boys that they eat at, all right? These aren't TV dinners that they're eating in the Lazy Boy. But that was the way that they often gathered around the table. In those days, the table would be low and they would be kind of laid back on pillows, kind of sprawled out with their feet going under the table or along the table. And so they were reclined. And so it was a very intimate feeling, being together, enjoying this meal together. So Martha shows her appreciation by serving food. Lazarus shows his appreciation just by being with Jesus, spending time with him. And then Mary shows this extravagant, sacrificial gift, this over-the-top display. And it might be that you're here today, and you're you're a Lazarus kind of person, that you show your love and appreciation for Jesus just by spending time with him, And, and spending time in prayer with him in the morning, or getting to know Him through His Word, or or worshiping Him through music. Or it might be you're the kind of person that you show your appreciation for Jesus by serving. And thank goodness for all of the Marthas that we have here at our church that make it possible for us to serve kids and serve you well when you gather here for worship services. They're serving the people, but they're doing it out of a love and an appreciation. They're doing it for the purpose of showing honor to Christ who's made a difference in their lives. But then Mary... She shows this over-the-top, extravagant display of love for Jesus. And that's what she's doing here. When she anoints Jesus with this perfume or oil. Now for us, this kind of loses its meaning. Because if somebody came up to you today and poured oil or perfume over your head, you'd be like, what's going on? I'm creeped out, right? Like, is this a joke? Why are you doing this to me? Because today, at your house, you have a room that is dedicated to cleanliness. A room that's dedicated to bathing. You have shelves in your shower with all different types of shampoos and conditioners and body washes. You have knobs on the wall that make hot water come out of the spigot and you can dial it into just the exact right temperature. They didn't have any of that. 
And while they were very dedicated to being clean and cleanliness, and they, they saw the need for that, they didn't have the, the, the tools at their disposal that we do today. And so people who had means and worth, they would, they would provide a way for you to kind of freshen up when you came in for a meal. There'd be a place where you could wash your feet because you've been walking around in the, the dry, Middle Eastern, arid climate and you'd be dusty from the the dirt roads and so there's a place for you to wash your feet and also a place where you can kind of wash your face and get the dust out of your beard and kind of freshen up your hair maybe a little bit of perfume to kind of cover up the the odor that you were going to bring into this party and so it was a way for you to walk into this party prepared well we do that at home now for them it wasn't as possible and so here she has this this jar of this perfume or oil. And she pours it on Jesus' head and she pours it on His feet and she's wiping His feet with her hair. And the perfume that she anoints Jesus with is this costly, costly perfume. She goes over and above by pouring all of it out, so much so that the, the scent fills the whole house. Now, you've probably been at a place where everybody can smell someone's aftershave, you know? Like, did they bathe in it, right? Or that person's perfume is so strong. And for us, that's kind of a, like, oh, man, dial it back a little bit, man. But in, in, a, in a situation like this, where the smells aren't as pleasant on the norm, this would have been this beautiful sense, this beautiful smell that would have filled the whole house where everybody's having this dinner together. And her act of love for Jesus, her act of appreciation causes this smell to kind of fill the whole house and everyone is affected by it. A little bit later, Judas will, will kind of, he'll kind of object to the cost of this gift And he'll say that this could have been sold for 300 denarii. 300 denarii, that's basically a denarii was one day's wage. And so this is 300 days wages. Now, in in our context, in our culture, if someone was making minimum wage for eight hours a day and worked 300 days, it would come to about $17,000. That's for somebody making minimum wage. For many of us, 300 days of salary is a lot more than $17,000. That's the cost of this ointment, this oil, this perfume that she pours out. That's an incredibly expensive gesture that she's making, right? Like some of you have had parties at your house, and maybe you've had parting gifts for the guests, but nobody is like giving away a Honda Civic when they leave, right? (laughs) I don't see Oprah in the house. Like Nobody's like, everybody gets a car. But here she is showing this great appreciation for Jesus and pouring out this gift that is about $17,000 worth. And not only is it $17,000, but it's something that is, is momentary. There's this beautiful scent, but it's not something that Jesus can take to the bank. It's not something that he can cash in. It's not something that's going to gain value. It's all for this moment. And she pours this thing out just for this moment, just to show appreciation for Jesus. Why? Because her brother who was dead is sitting there. And he's alive. 
And because of what Jesus had done for Lazarus, Mary would have poured out two if she had it. There, there could be no cost too high for her to show her love and appreciation for Jesus for what he had done for her. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've got a loved one who's sick, you have somebody who you care about that is extremely ill, you know the feeling of, I, I would do anything to make them well. I would give anything so that they would be better. Some of you have children, and you're watching that child make bad choice after bad choice, and you would give your right arm for the life to be made right. Some of you have older parents who are, are ill, and they're infirm, and they're weak, and you, you would do whatever you could to fix that, but you can't. And some of you put yourself, you push yourself to the, the limit. Why? Because that's someone that you care about. And for Mary, Lazarus, her brother, she watched him die. And she would have done anything to help him. If the doctor had said, you need to break that entire jar of expensive perfume and ointment over Lazarus, and that will heal him, she would have done it in a moment. There would have been nothing that would have been too costly. But there was nothing that she could do. But Jesus comes, and he raises her brother up from the dead. And so in appreciation, there is nothing that she would hold back and say, well, that's too much. Mary was willing to pour out this whole jar of perfume because she would have been willing to pour out every jar of perfume if she could. I'm reminded of Nathan Hale. He's the American patriot who was so devoted to the idea of America that he signed up for dangerous intelligence missions to spy on the British during the Revolutionary War. And he went to New York to spy on the British Army and he was captured. And after he was captured, he was sentenced to die by hanging. And the people that were standing there heard him. They said, do you have any last words? And he said, my only regret is that I only have one life to lose for my country. How could he make such a big sacrifice? Because he would have sacrificed anything he had because he was so committed to the idea of America. Mary was so thankful. She so appreciated Jesus and what he did. She so understood his power because of what she had just seen him do. There was nothing that was too costly for her to pour out and show how much she appreciated him. And it's easy for us to see that because Mary is here at the table with Jesus next to her brother who was dead and rose again. But the truth is that before that moment, before Jesus raised Lazarus up from the dead, Jesus was worthy of this kind of worship. You see, Jesus, he was that valuable he, who He is as the Son of God, the Messiah, was not based on her experience of that power, but rather is based on the fact that that power is there, that He is who He says that He is. And Mary's experience helped her see firsthand just how powerful He is and just how valuable He is. But it wasn't that He suddenly became valuable. He had been valuable. Now she saw it. And my hope for you today is that you will come to see that Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our service. He's worthy of our love and devotion. And that that has been true for the millennia. That has been true through the generations. And if we will see that, we'll come to appreciate the value that Jesus already has. 
And that's not dependent upon how we're feeling right now. That's not dependent on how good the worship was this morning. It's not dependent on how good a job Pastor Daniel does preaching this morning. Jesus is worthy of that whether or not we see it. Whether or not we can see what he's up to right now. Whether or not we can look firsthand at something he's accomplishing in our lives in this moment. He is there. He is real. He is true. He is the Son of God. And he is worthy of worship no matter where we're at. See, the worth of Jesus does not fluctuate with our moods. The worth of Jesus does not fluctuate with our moods. I, I, I don't really understand the financial markets. I mean, I, I kind of get how they work, but I, I know that a barrel of oil can cost this amount today and cost dramatically more next Monday and cost dramatically less the following Monday. And that has to do with the the laws of supply and demand and how much oil is ready and how much oil we need. But friend, let me tell you that the, the value of Jesus does not fluctuate on how much we feel like we need him right now. The value of Jesus does not fluctuate with how, how, how much we have experienced him right now. The value of Jesus is priceless. It can't, you can't put a price tag on it. What fluctuates is not the value of Jesus. What fluctuates is our recognition of his value. What fluctuates is our appreciation for him. And, and let's just be honest, okay? Some of us are spiritually bipolar. Because one Sunday, like, Jesus is awesome, and this is amazing, and the next Sunday, like, ah, I don't know if I can make it today. What has changed? Has the value of Jesus changed? The value of Jesus has not changed. The only thing that has changed is our mood, our perception, our perspective, how we're feeling, what's going on with us, our circumstances. The value of Jesus does not change. Our moods change. They fluctuate. You know why we need to gather for worship every week? Because while our moods fluctuate, the the value of Jesus does not. And I need to be reminded weekly that Jesus is the Son of God. I need to be reminded weekly of what He has done for me. We go through seasons. That's normal. We, We can't be at 100 all the time. I get that. There are going to be springs and summers and falls and winters in all of our lives. But I need to remember that Jesus is evergreen. That he does not fade just because my appreciation fades. That his worth does not diminish just because my perspective changes. What happens for Mary in this moment is that she has gotten a better glimpse of who Jesus really is than ever before. Jesus did not suddenly become more powerful. Jesus did not suddenly become more worthy. She just suddenly saw his worth in a new way, in a powerful way. A member of Martin Luther's church once asked him why week after week he kept preaching the gospel. Why is it that week after week, Sunday after Sunday, you're always preaching about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins? When are you going to finally talk about something else? And Martin Luther said, I preach on it every week because you forget it every week. And we need to be reminded every week because we forget every week. So Mary's at the peak in her appreciation for Jesus, but on the flip side and in contrast, Judas is headed into the valley. 
While Mary is ready to sacrifice thousands of dollars in this grand gesture, Judas is preparing to sell Jesus out for what would be just a few hundred dollars in comparison. Look at what the following verses say. Verse 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Judas says what what people a lot of times say. Can you believe they spent that much on that? They they should have given that to the poor. They could have helped somebody out with that amount of money. But then John gives us a glimpse into Judas' heart in verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Why did Judas say this? Because he wanted that to be sold and the money put in his hands and then some of it was going to disappear into his pocket. It wasn't about the poor. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about Judas. And sometimes we miss the true value of Jesus because it's not about Jesus. It's about us. It's about what we want. It's about what we desire. It's about what we're wanting Jesus to give us. Our appreciation for Jesus may depend on how closely we are to His power and His working, and it may also depend on what we are wanting, what we are wrapped up in, what we currently desire. And we will never see how powerful and majestic and and gracious Jesus is if all we're ever looking for is, what have you done for me lately? What can I get out of this? That's what Judas is looking at. Judas is sitting at the table where a man who was was dead has been raised to life again. And Judas is thinking about money. You see, we miss the most important things in life because we are so distracted with lesser things. That's what's happening to Judas. So Mary, she's at the mountaintop and her appreciation and worship of Jesus and Judas is headed into the valley. He's ready to turn his back on Jesus, to sell Jesus out, to walk away from him. And then there's this other validation that happens in John 12, just a few verses down. Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he would spend this whole Passover week as millions of people would be coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. Jesus would spend this week staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany, which is kind of a suburb of Jerusalem, and travel in every day. And so the first day of the week, that Sunday, he enters into Jerusalem. People have heard that Jesus raised Lazarus up from the dead. They're excited. And so it gets really, really powerful. As Jesus begins to enter into Jerusalem. Verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, 
Then he remembered, then then remembered they these things that were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. And the people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. Now, of the gospel writers, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four give us the life story of Jesus from a different perspective. All four gospel writers tell us the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, kind of signifying the beginning of Passover week and fulfilling this prophecy. But John gives us the least information about this. Because John is still focused on Lazarus. And even as Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem and the people are praising him and they're waving palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, John is still saying, even in verse 17, and the people who saw Lazarus raised from the dead, they bear record. And while there are people who were, who were moved by this entrance that Jesus had into Jerusalem, John says, that is nothing. He raised a guy from the dead. Why are you so moved by this pomp and circumstance? He has the victory over death. That's the, that's the headline here. That's what's most important here. But John gives us this detail to show us that not only are Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these people that were personally close to Jesus, not only are they recognizing Jesus' worth, but the, the people at large, the community at large is recognizing what Jesus is up to in this powerful moment. And by the way, for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem like this, it was making a statement. He wasn't just wandering into Jerusalem. He's making a statement. Now, he has avoided Jerusalem up to this point because there are people that are trying to kill him. And so when he enters in, he enters in with a purpose. He enters in with design. He finds a donkey and rides in in on the donkey, knowing that this fulfills prophecy. Jesus had no ambiguity about what he was doing and who he was. He knew who he was. You know, in most books and plays, the hero is kind of this humble, oh, I, I'm, you know, I'm not the guy you need, you know? Like, oh, you're the chosen one. You're our savior. You're our hero. Ah, I'm just a regular guy. Jesus never says that. I mean, Mary is anointing Jesus, which is this picture of how kings were anointed back in the day, this extravagant gift of worship. And Judas says, this is over the top. And Jesus doesn't say, you're right, she's making too much fuss. Jesus says, no, this is appropriate. Now, the reason that most of our movies and books and plays kind of portray heroes as being this aw shucks, humble guy is because we're supposed to like the hero. And if he's so proud of who he is, he'll come across as arrogant. But Jesus is clear on who he is, confident in his calling, knowing his true nature, but he's not arrogant. He remains humble. He knows who he is, and he knows that he's willing to give himself for the people. Jesus was not unsure at all about his identity. And so he rides into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah on a donkey. And the people grab up palm branches and they yell, Hosanna. Now, the reason that they grab palm branches is that this had become kind of a, a, a common occurrence when someone would return to Jerusalem after being victorious in war. 
The reason that they would use palm branches is because palm branches were just everywhere around Jerusalem. It's easy to grab them up. And so when someone's coming back and they've been victorious in war and you want to show them appreciation, you just grab what was at disposal, wave them in the air, and welcome them home. We're probably all familiar with a ticker tape parade, right? They bring somebody through the city streets and they rain what looks like confetti down. You know how they got started? In 1886, when they dedicated the Statue of Liberty, they held a parade, and they brought it down Broadway in New York City. And all of the people who were watching out of their high-rise buildings as the parade made their way down, they were excited. And so many of them went back to their ticker tape machines that would read off all of the stocks that were fluctuating. Those machines, they would just make that ticker tape sound. And they had these large spools of paper that fed the machine. And they took that paper, the spools that weren't used, and the the bins of paper that had been, and they threw it out the window. Why? Because it was something they had at disposal they could throw, and it rained down. And now we spend millions of dollars buying confetti. But it started because it was something that was at their disposal. The reason people grabbed the palm branches is this is something that was there in Jerusalem, was at their disposal, they could wave. And so it kind of became this, this nationalistic sense of pride, so what you did when there was victory, just like we throw a ticker tape parade when somebody comes back victorious from the Olympics or they win the Super Bowl, they wave palm branches. And so Jesus is just won over death, and they're waving palm branches, and they yell, Hosanna. And Hosanna is a phrase that they're familiar with because they would sing it in the psalms that were part of each of those three festivals that they gathered in Jerusalem for, and it meant God save us or send your salvation, bring salvation near. And so this moment that Jesus finds himself in the middle of it, it would be like if our hero came back from the moon or came back from winning the gold and we waved little American flags and we started, we broke out into God bless America. This kind of blending of a nationalistic and religious pride excitement in this moment. And that's what they're doing. They're waving the palm branches and saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the king. They view Jesus as this conquering hero. They're excited. The people were excited that Jesus is entering Jerusalem. And they feel that he has finally come to give them freedom from the Romans. He's their conquering hero. Who better to lead us into a fight against the Romans? Who better to, to give us great power over all of our foes than someone who can feed thousands with just a couple of pieces of bread? Who can raise the dead back up to life again? Who can mess with us now? The people didn't understand Jesus' true purpose. They were excited because they thought they had a political, military hero. And what they would come to see over the next six days is that Jesus didn't come to give them freedom from their Roman oppressors. Jesus came to give them freedom from the oppressor in their own heart. To give them freedom from their sin. When we sold the van this past week, just so happened that we listed it for sale a week and a half after this church in Kentucky, their van, their 15-passenger van, the engine on it blew up. And so, man, they jumped on the opportunity to buy this one from us because they had a need. They needed a new van. 
And so the value made sense to them. Now, two weeks ago, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have paid that amount of money for our van. They didn't need one. They already had one. But now that they have a need, they're willing to pay that price. They see the value in it. And you and I will best appreciate the worth and value of Jesus when we recognize our great need. What is it that we need? We need freedom from sin. We don't need a few more pennies in our pocket. We don't need a new relationship. We don't need that thing that our neighbor just got. We don't need our guy to be in power and office. We don't need for things to go our way. We don't need that promotion. We don't need any of that in comparison with what we really need. We need freedom from the brokenness in our hearts, our sin. And that's what Jesus came to give us through his death on the cross. And as the people are saying, Hosanna, God's salvation draws near. God has brought His Savior. They don't realize it, but they're saying what is true. That God has brought our Savior near. He's brought the one who will save us. Not from our circumstances, but from our sin. From our shame. From the need of every. You know what's crazy about the value of Jesus? His supply of grace is unending. And our need of grace is eternal. And whether or not we recognize it, we desperately need Him. If you'll recognize that need today, you'll see how worthy He is of worship. No matter our circumstances, no matter our mood, no matter what's going on, we need Jesus. He's worthy. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?